By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adamian Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by The Stack, the most advanced speed training system in golf. The Stack system pairs a single club, which is configurable into 30 resistance levels, with an industry-changing app. The Stack assesses your speed profile and provides customized programming. The app guides you through every swing, cheers when you set personal records, and clearly displays progress for key training metrics. The Stack was created by leading golf researcher Dr. Sasho McKenzie and VP of Fitting and Performance at Ping, Marty Jertson. Matt Fitzpatrick credited the Stack for the massive speed gains that helped him become the 2022 U.S. Open champion. I'll be honest, it worked wonders, he said. You deserve more speed. Check them out at thestacksystem.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT for 10% off your purchase. Once again, that's thestacksystem.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT for 10% off. So today we're talking about a topic that I'm super passionate about, and I think it's one that's very misunderstood. It's one of the myths that gets passed around when people say, oh, you got to swing smooth, swing easy. And and everyone talks about tempo, but it's very generic explanation. And today we're going to get much more specific and and hopefully provide you some good ideas on how to practice your tempo and track it on and off the course. So we have John Novosel Jr. from Tour Tempo. John, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. Yeah, it should be fun. As I told you before we started recording, I spoke with your dad a long time ago and John Garrity, who who co-authored the book with your dad. And I've been, it's one of my favorite training aids on the market. I've been recommending it for years. And this is 
This is my official opportunity to ask for my commission check from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, keep talking. You're doing great so far. This is a good conversation. Already. Well, I just, I mean, I'm going to, I'm probably going to say a lot of nice things about you guys. So I do want to disclose beforehand that there is no financial arrangement between me That's and right. Tor Tempo. You guys are in my book. You've been on my website forever, but I genuinely recommend it because I use it to this day. I still track my tempo. I think it's helpful. And I think it's one of the practice methods that I believe in. And we're going to get into some specifics. But I think it's such an interesting story how it all came about. So why don't, for people who've never heard of you guys and and what initially happened with your dad back in the day, why don't you tell the story of how Tor Tempo got started? Well, sure thing. You mentioned something earlier in when you were introing is that everybody talks about smooth and slow and all these types of things. But what the hell do those things even mean? When exactly. you're swinging, they don't, they have no meaning. And so this is why my dad's discovery, and it, it's really more of an uncovery or whatever you want to call it. It has so much merit. We have been, or my dad and I have been golf inventors for swing trainers for all kinds of stuff for a long time. I remember growing up, my dad invented a club that had like a grip, a hose and a head. And that was our first little tempo trainer. I was like the guinea pig for all his inventions. But he did create one thing called the, we called it at the time, the accelerator. It's now called the speedball. And we did an infomercial for that. It's that target where you hit into a Velcro pad, helps increase your club head speed. And what happened was, is we got some funding to do an infomercial. And we had a bunch of LPGA tour players using it. One was Jan Stevenson, former US Open champion. And she had picked up 15, 20 yards using this thing. And during the editing of that infomercial, my dad noticed, or the editor we were working with, we kind of noticed that she took it back in 27 frames. Instead of saying 0.9 seconds, we kind of started thinking in terms of frames per second, which there was 30 frames in one second. So we noticed that she took it back in 27 and down in nine. So she had this sort of ratio, if you will, of 27 to nine. And we didn't think much of it. Nobody who cared because we've always been told you should be smooth and slow and your tempo is your tempo. You're born with it. Da, da, da. Well, then we had some, I was a huge Tiger fan. I've always had, I always have been. And we had a video of Tiger at the 97 Masters. And I think he won it by 50 shots or whatever he won by. And guess what his tempo was? It was 27.9. And all of a sudden, my dad really jumped onto this idea of 27.9. But what he found was it wasn't 27.9 that was magic. It was three to one. And that even at, at the time, this was, you know, 2000, 2001, we were starting to see faster tempos, 24.8 and 21.7. Now you're seeing guys that are 18.6, guys like Matthew Fitzpatrick. Roy McElroy is even in that 20 to 7 range. So you're seeing it's really increased in pace. But basically, the basic discovery of tour tempo was this three to one ratio which sort of blows the idea that everyone has their own tempo. Secondly, it was this idea of, hey, tempo is a lot faster than you think it is. These guys are swinging 24 eights about a second from takeaway to impact. And then nowadays you're seeing all these 21 sevens and 18 six. So tempo is a lot faster than you think. And thirdly, this is something that is kind of true. You need to have consistent tempo. So those were sort of the the three big things of tour tempo. And that's what really started us off to connect with John Garrity to get that book written. And that book came out, and was it 2004 around then? Am I you are correct, correctly? 2004. Yep. And John Garrity, if I can say something about John, he's one of my favorite guys in the golf industry or guys in general. His depth and breadth of golf knowledge is amazing. He wrote for Sports Illustrated for 30-some years. But what he loved about Tour Tempo was John had so many thoughts, so many demons in his head from 30 years of being in the golf business, 30 years of golf tips. 
that he could barely, he actually quit playing golf. And then he got tour tempo and it freed him up. So this is usually typically the first thing that people might say, or you might see as a coach is, hey coach, I can't think of my 10 swing thoughts when I do tour tempo. And that was a huge thing with Garrity is that he really sort of helped us write this in a beautiful way. And the book's got some funny passages, I think, that he wrote that really helped it. But Garrity really brought it full circle. So I wrote about you guys on Practical Golf in 2016. That's when I kind of, I discovered the books 10 years later. I'd never <laughs> read them when they first came out. And I had a really long conversation with your dad. And I had a really long conversation with John Garrity. And then I wrote an article. And to your point, John Garrity, who, yeah, was a veteran of Sports Illustrated and a golfer, he, t- I mean, he, he was kind of confessing to me when your dad first reached out to him, he's like, I don't want another guy trying to get me to write a book about some nonsense golf swing thing. He's like, I'd been to a million swing schools and my game was a mess. And when he met with your dad, I think it was, they both lived in Kansas City. That's right. Am I remember yeah. that correctly. And when I first spoke with him, it was like his his experience with the tones and the beats. He's like, yeah, it finally freed me up and I didn't worry about my swing. And that was kind of music to my ears and how I got started with it initially. One of the things you alluded to this earlier, you did a lot of research with tour players. And in a huge coincidence, a former playing partner of mine, is an, his name is Dr. Bob Grober. He was a physics professor at Yale for 30 years, a great golfer. He played division one golf in Vanderbilt. And this is a huge coincidence. He All was one of the great guys. Yeah, I know Bob great well. guy. Yeah. yeah he's amazing. done a lot. Yeah. He's done a lot of work in the golf industry over the years. He's done research for Titleist. And it was just a huge coincidence. He was really one of the first guys who kind of verified your findings. He did it in a bit of a lab setting where he tested professional players, lower handicaps and higher handicaps. And he kind of verified some of the things that you found. But it's been almost 15, 20 years now. What have you found is the main difference between the golfers who strike it well and then the golfers who don't strike it so well in terms of, is it the variation of their tempos? Is it, is it the poor players are just all over the map? Are the better players always three to one? Or are they around there? Can you, you share with us some of the findings over the years? For sure. And, you know, when Grober's study came out, we were doing, I think Garrity wrote an article that, you know, we were doing high fives at Tour Tempo headquarters because it really verified with some good science the ideas behind physics and how they relate to tempo. And and, and Grober likened the swing to loading up a spring. And if you load a spring and unload that spring with twice the force you load it with, you'll get a three to one ratio. That's just physics of, of what he called it a harmonic oscillator. But basically what, what Grober found is what we've kind of seen. The tour pros are really tight in their dispersion pattern, if you will, of their tempo. One swing will be 21-7. The next swing will be 22-7. The next swing will be 21-7. The average golfer will be all over the map. and Their dispersion is terrible. One, one swing is 35-8. The next swing is 32-9. And so there's this huge difference in the sort of consistency, if you will, of the tempo. So that's one thing that's really, really come true. The other thing that Grober kind of found that we started to find is it doesn't have to be perfectly three to one, 2.8 or 2.9 or 3.1 or 3.2. Those are all fine. When you see the average golfer get into trouble, you start seeing four to one ratios, five to one ratios. And they have all this time in the backswing for a lot of things to actually go wrong. When you watch Rory McIlroy, there's not a whole lot of time for a whole lot of bad things to happen necessarily. So that would be another big difference. And then what we've really seen, and I wrote about this in a new Tour Tempo book 
called Tour Tempo Force. And a lot of it I use Grover, and we should talk about that as a reference, but the faster you swing, the more force you put into the handle, the more club head speed you'll generate. So we, I'm now starting to use tempo for power and speed. It's become an absolute, I'm literally batting 1,000, meaning every golfer that's ever come to me with a slow backswing, if I increase that tempo, they will increase their club head speed. I've never not increased speed by increasing tempo. Now, if you come to me with 21 frame backswing and we take you to 18, that might not necessarily get you more speed. But if you come with 35 or 42 or a, a extremely long backswing and we take that into the 20s, you're going to gain club head speed because you load the tissues, you load the handle, you do all these things Grover talks about physics-wise, and it helps you create more speed. So I think, to your point, we've seen a lot of different things evolve out of this. It doesn't have to be perfect. And if you want some club head speed, this is a way to go. Again, the, one of the biggest ones is this idea of, I just don't have time to think 10 swing thoughts when I'm trying to go bump, bump, bump. And, and that was another beauty of this whole discovery is that my brother, Jeff, was able to create these tones that are matched up to the, to the rhythm of the pros. And that's something we can talk about as well. To make, I, I could even play those for you guys. Because when people hear these tones, they all of a sudden go, wow, that's really fast. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you anecdotally, my experience with them in the beginning was that I was working with swing analyzers. Remember, like they used to be a big thing, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, the, the Zep, all of them, they used to be pretty popular. And when I first started working with the tones, I had the same issue is that they sounded super fast to me. And my ratio was like 3.7 to 1, 3.8. So I had, yeah. a, I had a very slow guided backswing. And as I worked with the beats and verified what was happening in my tempo, it was applying more force on the backswing. And again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm always careful when I talk about this because I don't want to make it seem like it's just magic that's going to solve every golfer's issues right. ever. But I, I can tell you anecdotally, it's something I still work with to this day and I track my tempo on the range. Me going from a 3.7 to where now my best strikes are about 2.8, 2.9, 3.0. I actually use the Garmin S62 watch to track it. And I, when I warm up on the range before a tournament, I check in with it. It absolutely has helped me with my swing speed. And I, I, as just someone who anecdotally watches golfers, I think our main issue is that we generally swing too slow on the backswing. And I think it can help people in that way. But when I spoke with Bob a lot about when he played, his true belief was that the three to one or close to it was the most biomechanically efficient way to swing a golf club. Have you found any, like Hideki Matsuyama, for example, I'm thinking, like there are outliers on tour where like, I think he was four to Actually, one at I'm, one point. Can I, let me jump in on Hideki because I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. So Hideki's, I don't know if you ever kind of noticed his speeds on tour, like 178, 180 ball speed. Yeah, he's got he speed. He was <laughs> with, yep, he was with a long driver. I saw this on Instagram, put up a 191 ball speed and it looked like a different guy. There was no pause at the top and it was a much faster backswing. So what you see, if you if you go out to the long drive tour or watch a long drive guy, you're going to see super fast backswing, no pause. And that's how you're going to create massive speed. That's Kyle Berkshire and Martin Borgmeier, two of the longest hitters out there. They take it back past parallel in 18 frames. That's hard to do just that. Just take a backswing that fast and go that far. But yeah, Hideki is a great example. I mean, he picked up 10 miles an hour ball speed by not pausing. So he can get away with it because he's got speed to burn and he's trying yeah. to shoot a low number. But the average golfer that's only hitting a 220, they're going to do much better hitting it further, even if it may go into a little bit of rough. 
if they can still control it, which typically what you see is when you do the tour tempo, you don't lose control. It's just this illusion. Your brain tells you that when you swing slow, you're going to have more control. It's definitely an illusion that we create. In terms of the thoughts, I used to use tempo training to, as you said, reduce the number of thoughts that players had. So if I got a player who was too bogged down, paralyzed by analysis, I'd use tempo training for them because it worked for me as well. One of the goals it was it had for me was to see what was actually ingrained in a player's swing because, as you said, the tempo is so fast or they're thinking of something at least that is not swing-oriented. And so that tends to bring about what is ingrained in the player so we could see whether our training was, was going well or not. But something I noticed is when you sped up the tempo of players, they actually swung it better. Like Lots of the mechanics improved. And as you said, taking it back in a certain amount of time is kind of hard to do for a lot of players. They feel like they're almost throwing the club back. And when that club is moving faster, it's going to stay on plane a lot better. And it's harder to make extraneous movements if you are doing it quite quickly. It's really hard to take it off plane and, and have to reroute it in transition if you've got a fast tempo. So, yeah, I see lots of uses for this, you know, reducing number of thoughts in players, improving backswing mechanics as well. Lots of people, as you, as you can imagine, are frightened that because they're swinging it faster, they say, oh, I have less control now. Whereas when we put it on video, it's like, no, it's actually cleaned up a lot of your mechanics. And then sequencing of body as well you know whether you're doing the the kinematic sequence seeing that one two three four transition am i giving you a few points to talk about here i don't want to go too, too <laughs> just far keep, just keep talking i need to record that and put it on my website because you know everything you say is true what you see is the more time you take the more time there is to, for things to go wrong it's also very similar to when people set up to the ball and they stand over the ball forever the longer you stand over the ball the more thoughts you're going to have so in general, why other sports are so much easier than golf is that they're reaction sports. And if you can sort of make golf somewhat of a reaction sport, it's really going to help someone. I've even used the tones to help people with their pre-shot routine so that we can take this whole setup thing and make everything faster. Now, what I think the question is for the person out there is, it feels so fast, it feels so hard to do. Well, just do some practice swings. See if you can just clip a tee or brush the grass, right? And then once you can do that to the tones, now you, you can take that to a ball. But you're right. You do see a lot of good things happen when the student goes faster. And John, you were talking about this earlier. We make this sound like it's the greatest panacea ever invented. And it can be for a lot of people. If your tempo is already decent, then what we can do is figure out ways to either improve that tempo or improve your technique while you're doing the tone. So you can make your improvement still in the subconscious mind or bypassing that prefrontal cortex as well. So I think that's another piece of this that the student out there or the golfer out there could really learn from is a different modality to train your golf swing. When I was first doing the testing, I, I had a guy at our, our club, the same club that Bob Grober was a part of, our best player, tremendous tournament player. And he was the epitome of that golfer you see. It's like, oh, he's barely even trying. It looks so smooth. And I pulled him over. I said, Tom, can I attach this thing to your golf club? He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I put it on his golf club and I have my cell phone. I'm going, I said, go hit five shots for me. 3.0, Just perfect every single time. And I think that's when I was like, oh, I think I 
better start working with this stuff. I think one of the questions I've gotten over the years is the confusion about the tones. The one is like, what do I start with? Yeah. So for example, I started with 27.9. That felt fast to me. I'm now down to, and to be quite honest with you, I played the tones in my head for years on the course. I would listen to them on the way to the course and it was a mental cue for me. That's not really the case anymore. I feel like it's part of me. But whenever I do get out of whack, 21.7 is my number now. I'm way quicker in terms of time elapsed than I used to be. Do you want to play a few of them for yeah, us? For Just sure. the different. Yeah, why don't we start definitely. with the best course of actions usually to start with the slower ones for most people, correct? Actually, I like to start with 24-8. And 27-9 works as well because 24-8 is a kind of the middle of the road. So you're going to hear... Dun, 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 start, top of backswing, impact. Yeah, that's, start, that's what people have to realize. Is, yeah. That's what they need to realize. So that's 24-8. Now, if you're on the range and you try that and it feels too fast, way too fast, you could never do that, then you can go to 27-9. Dun, dun, top, start, top, impact, start, top. Okay, so that's slower. And if that's way too fast, we actually added a 30-10. But if 24-8 feels slow or you want to try to incre- increase it, and this is, by the way, Rory and Tiger for most, most of his career, that's 21-7. Dun, dun, start, top, impact. And what you'll see is as you increase the – as you go from 24-8 to 21-7, all of a sudden you, you start to feel – you got to move a little bit faster. Like everything in you is going, i got to increase the pace of this thing. The biggest mistake I see, though, is that people start early. They know the tone is coming, bump, bump, bump. And if you start that backswing early, you're cheating because now you have way more time to complete that backswing. I think it can be... The reason why I sometimes say it's not for everyone, because some people, I think it can genuinely throw them off and make them uncomfortable. And other people are like, oh my God, this is... I mean, for me, it was... I'm someone who's trying to run away as far as possible from technical swing thoughts. Right, exactly. It was something that was right up my alley and I gravitated towards it. And I love music. I I play music in my head on the golf course. It's something that gives me comfort when I play golf. So someone like myself, I gravitated to it quite quickly. Whereas some people, yeah, I think they got anxiety waiting for that first beat to start. So it's something that you do have to be quite patient with, I think. Agreed. And do some experimentation. The other thing you can do if you want to try to do tempo and you can't get over the hop is add a trigger or figure out what your trigger move is. Because if you can learn to use your trigger right before that first tone, then it becomes a lot easier to start with the beats and it makes it all more natural. And a lot of people will tell me, well, John, I don't have a trigger. And I go, well, almost every great player that ever lived had one. So they probably know something we don't. So you might want to do, you might want to find a trigger. Because again, it goes back to that idea of the average golfer gets up there, they're standing there forever, they're motionless, no trigger, and they just kind of start the swing. Whereas if you've got this sort of built-in rhythm and routine just to setting up to the ball and then a trigger move to start, and then you've got the tones to sort of keep you on the rails or keep you on track, it can make this thing so much less conscious activity and make it easier to do. But a trigger move I found is really helpful right before that first tone to help somebody learn to adapt to the tones. I also found that messing around with it for years is the verification part of it was super important for me because as we know, feel is not real in the golf swing sometimes. So I 
used a number of different things. I've settled on the Garmin watch. They have that tempo feature in there now that does it automatically for you. There are, I think the blast motion sensor is like the last swing analyzer, blast golf. They're the true survivor (laughs) in that market. (laughs) Right, right. And it's mainly a putting tool. It's a great putting tool actually, but one of the main features of that product is tracking swing tempo. So you can use that too. And I know you guys have the video part of your app where you can actually take video of your golf swing and verify it through that method. Do we want to talk... Because I I found that to be super important is like you're practicing with the beats, seeing what your tempo is, what your ball flight's like. And then more importantly, then I would stop using the beats and then see what my tempo would be and measure the difference. Because I I found that having verifiable info, what my tempo was doing was super important in helping my golf swing and my ball flight. Absolutely. 100%. You got to have feedback. And so Martin Borgmeier is a good buddy of mine. He says, you know, you can't feel speed. Meaning when you swing, it feels fast to you. And you, you know, you don't know if you're 120, 110, whatever. You have to have something, some external device to tell you. I think it's very true with tempo. You can feel that it's faster or slower, but you may not know what that is. So having a feedback mechanism on your tempo is huge. You had mentioned the Garmin watch. A buddy of mine, Marcus Westerberg, has something called the DeWiz swing trainer. It's a watch-like device that will measure it. I know they had Henrik Stinson on there and every single swing was three to one. It was pretty wild to see the data. I believe they were all around 18.6, something like that. He's definitely a fan favorite at Tour Tempo headquarters because he's just got that faster swing with that great tempo. But the Tour Tempo frame counter app, it's free. That's where I like to really start people into the Tour Tempo universe. As I said, get the frame counter app. It's free. Video your swing and count your frames. Find out where you are now. Because if you, like I said, if you find out, you know, you're 36, 9, 4 to 1 and that's slow, you're going to see some incredible results. But you do need that feedback. And I do that with myself as well, especially if I'm going to go for some speed or whatever it might be. Am I hitting these numbers that I'm doing? What's interesting about the Tour Tempo Tones that we just listened to is we built some human reaction time in there. So you might see with your eye someone do 21.7. And then when you count those frames, it might count out to 24.8. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. And you always want to kind of go, you guys are coaches, you want to go with what gets you results. If we do this whole podcast and talk about how beneficial it is to swing faster and da da da, and you find you do really well with 24 8, by all means, use 24 8. Ernie Ells made a great career with 24 8. So, Jordan Speeth is 24 8 too, right? I think he was one of the 24 8 ones I read about. Yeah, and he's kind of slowed down weirdly. I don't know if you've noticed his weird practice swings he takes and sort of what he's been doing, but he was in that mode. Yeah, 24 8. Justin Thomas. Yeah. Was it 24-8? So it's really about finding out where you are, whether you're using a, a watch-like device like a DeWiz or a Garmin or using the Tour Tempo Frame Counter app. And then let's see if we can make it more consistent or make it faster or what happens when you try other tempos. Because one of the things that I loved about Garrity and what he wrote in the book is that no one really knew how to work on tempo other than maybe things like try to swing in balance or swing smooth. Well, now we've got actual data and numbers that you can really use, just like a launch monitor for your clubhead speed, your ball speed, and spin rates. We can really go to these numbers from our tempo readings and go, okay, my tempo is you know, 23.7. What's going to happen if I get that to 21.7? Is it going to be better or faster? I don't know. you got to experiment and find out. But without that really good feedback, you just never know. So I'm a huge fan of doing the frame counter or using a device and finding out where you are because that really unlocks your potential of like, let's try these other tempos and see what happens. 
have you found that I've found success going closer to three to one, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And one of the questions I get asked from people who use it is like, well, what if I'm 2.6 to one and I'm getting good results? What if I'm 3.5 to one? In golf, there's always outliers. I, I think it's, is it more the consistency versus getting close to three point? Meaning like if you found that 3.4 to one for whatever reason was consistent for you producing the best ball flight, is that more important than being someone who goes from four to one, five to one, 3.7 to one being all over the map? And I, again, I know there's probably no a hundred percent correct answer, but you've dealt with a lot more golfers than I have with this stuff. So I'm just curious to see what you guys have found over the years. I mean, that's a great question. Typically, if someone's coming to me and they're 3.4, we're going to definitely get them to three to one just to see what happens. If they're a great player and they're doing fine with it, that's fine. Typically, if it's 2.6, I would rather see it under three to one. That means a faster backswing. Yeah. Because as you start getting over three to one in the Sung JM territory, you get into that outlier territory, you better have some good mechanics to go with it. And that's kind of where I see that. But I would say, I think Grover's study, it was 2.5 to 3.5. If you were anywhere in there and consistent, you could do well with it. I just get worried if that 3.5 to 1 is like 37 frames in the backswing. That's just going to be way too slow to create speed and power for the average golfer. Yes, let's try to get to 3 to 1. Let's also look at the elapsed time, which is a big piece of that. Because if you think about you know 21 plus 7 is 28, 28 is a little less than 30. So Rory McIlroy from takeaway to impact is a little bit less than a second. If you're 3.4 to 1 and you're about a second, I think that's going to be fine. If you're 3.4 to 1 and it takes you 1.5 seconds, that's probably going to be too much time, giving us too much time in that backswing for things to go wrong. So I think, again, it's an on-the-fence answer, but it's, it's something. Experiment with it, try it, and then also look at that elapsed time number because that might be more important if your 3.4 tempo is consistent. Golfers always talk about consistency of outcomes, and it'll be interesting to see, especially now, and maybe you've done this research, but we have more information on things like forces and talks that we input into the club. And I know Jacob's 3D are doing a lot of things with how the body moves and how the muscles, how they're working to produce speed and the mechanics. And uh, yeah, there are even guys, I think Sasha McKenzie's doing stuff on shaft stress, how when you stress a shaft or you input different forces and torques into a, a shaft, how it bends and deflects differently through impact. And so I see when we talk about consistency, I always talk about things like rhythm and tempo, because if you are inputting more consistent forces into the club, you're going to get more consistent outcomes from the ball and from what the impact physics are going to be as well. Have you got any research on this or is, is there anything you know that's coming? Well, I know just a couple of good anecdotes on that. Last year, Martin Borgmeier was in to spend a week with me and his takeaway, I've never seen so fast of a takeaway. He would torque the shaft on the backswing just off the get-go. Like oh the handle would move and the club had not moved. I've never seen anything. So he had this curve. I actually invented a training aid based on that. It's called, I call it the dragonfly. And what I found is nobody does that even with a whippy heavy club that you should be able to easily do it with. But if I give it to like a long driver or for me myself, I can get that to torque. So you can't get it to torque by moving slow. That's the number one thing you see. Another thing, and this is from Grober, 
not 100% tempo related, but as we swing the club, it gets heavy as it orbits around us, especially on the downswing through impact. And it can be, for a long driver, up to 100 pounds of force orbiting us, which means we have to have a certain amount of grip pressure just to hold on to this thing. Now, circle that back to tempo, you're never going to have a really fast swing without some serious grip force because you just can't move the handle fast enough to do it with a soft grip. So this idea of, you know, I'm going to grip it like a bird or whatever, toothpaste, all these things are questionable because if, if the goal is to get some force into this club and to load the tissues and muscles like an athlete, that requires some serious pressure and some serious quick movement. So that's where the tour tempo thing comes full circle with forces or athleticism or things like this. It goes with all these different principles, even something such as the stretch shorten cycle. The stretch shorten cycle is based on how fast you load that tissue. It's based on the amount of that load, and it's based on how much time elapses between stretch and shorten. So when you can do all those things faster, you're going to jump higher, throw farther, run faster. And I think you're going to see a ton of stuff that will come out. I don't have those studies myself, but I know from just everything I've done and seen, you're going to see a ton of stuff that will come out that will sort of verify more force, faster backswings, things like that. Now, one thing we should state is if you're a 65-year-old guy and you just simply can't do some of this speed, let's find a tempo for you. Like from my, my dad's in his 70s. He swings to about 27.9 and does great with it. That's what's sort of cool about tempo is that it, it'll go to – we can adapt it to the golfer, so to speak. But if you're younger, you're in shape – you definitely need to move the needle or press the pedal and, and see what kind of tempo you can achieve because you're going to take advantage of some of these torques and forces that we're starting to discover. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweetspot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. If you had one thing we definitely love to discuss on the show is better practice habits in general. The way I practiced with the Tor Tempo Beats when I was using them more years ago is that, as I mentioned before, I would have them playing. I mean, some people like to put on headphones so that other people at the range can't hear them. Your friends in the other stall might not appreciate it. But I would go back and forth, meaning I would play the beats while hitting balls and kind of get into that rhythm in that zone. But at the same time, I didn't want to get too comfortable with it because then eventually, like, I'm not going to have them on the golf course as a crutch. So that's when I would use, at the time, it was the swing analyzers to hit without the beats to verify was this transferring over to normal golf swings? And more importantly, when I would practice on the course too, I would be measuring as well. Because what I found was, and this is why the Garmin watch is super helpful, it actually tracks your tempo on every shot you hit and you don't have to initiate that. I would go back on my rounds and review what my tempo was on each shot and kind of see, was that a bad drive? And invariably, I would find out on the course, my backswing got slower. So I was paying attention to all these trends with and without it. And that helped me a lot because it it helped verify info. And I knew my tendencies on the golf courses when I was under pressure, my backswing would get slower. And all of a sudden, three to oh, went to 3.5 to one. So that was the way I practiced kind of on and off. I don't know if that's the de facto method that you guys recommend, but I'm just kind of curious to, you know, I know you guys run clinics and stuff like that. What have you done over the years? John, this is why you're a smart guy, because that's exactly how somebody should practice it. You don't want to get addicted or do your whole range session to the tones and then walk to the first tee without tones. It will feel like you're naked. Yeah. (laughs) You'll just be like, wait, where's my tones? It's almost like I mentioned guardrails earlier. That'll just take away the guardrails. So if you're going to play, that's absolutely great. Do some tempo, take away the tempo. Do some tempo, take away the tempo. And Kudos to you for measuring the ones where you weren't doing the tempo to make sure you're sticking with it. I will say this. In the beginning, if you're just going out to the range for a session, you need to make these tones second nature. So you might hit a whole bucket to the tones, but just make sure that you're not going to play right then and there. As you get better and better with the tones, then you you do, like you said, two or three swings with them, two or three swings without. But also changing clubs and changing length of swing and things like that can be really helpful while you're practicing. Because what's cool about tour tempo is it should be the same tempo and it is for Rory and Tiger and all the greats on a driver as it is on a seven iron as it is on a full wedge. Now, if you get into a half shot, that's actually a different tempo. But if you're making a full golf swing, that's the same tempo with every club in your bag. And so that's a great little practice thing to do is go driver, three wood, seven iron wedge, maybe back up take the tones away, do the same type of thing. That's really important because a lot of people, quote unquote, get quick, whatever that means with the driver. (laughs) 
And so if you're using the tones, you're going to know if you're quick or not as you're doing it. So I think that's brilliant. I think it's also interesting that you mentioned you get slower on the course. I've had some good conversations with Padraig Harrington, and he's really sped up. He's now 18-6. What he's been doing the last month, I mean, he's over 180 ball speed on the senior tour. I mean, those guys have to be shaking in their boots against him now. They are. And I, I met with Padraig in St. Louis two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, and he won that event. Yeah, that's and crazy. I, I filmed him 18-6. He makes it look easy. But you can just see if you go back in 18 and come down in 6, you're going to have speed, period. There's just no way not to do it. He's in good shape. You know, he's done all that. But what we talked about was he had gotten his ball speed up into the low 190s. But on course, he was having problems getting up over 180. And he did some work with Michael Jacobs. And he also realized, and this was something Dave Phillips mentioned, he also realized that he was too trying to control it or steer it on the golf course and not just freewheeling it. Because like you said, there's trouble, you get nervous. So you think I'm going to slow down. Actually, it should be the opposite. We don't want to get quicker than our than our good tempo or good tour tempo, but we want to maintain that. And so that's where somebody that's like a 3.4 tempo, I get worried that on the course, if that goes to 3.8, they're going to be in trouble. That's where the three to one is helpful because it just tightens up the length of that backswing and doesn't allow you to get longer. But anyway, to your exact point, it's great to make sure on course to track your tempos, whether somebody films you or you're using a device to see if you're trying to steer it or control it. And that circles all the way back to That's why sometimes having this pre-shot routine to the tones where you're sort of stepping into the tones and you're waggling to the tones and doing all these things to the tones can really help you transfer that tempo to the golf course. Yeah, the pre-shot routine. Well, we've done a whole episode on pre-shot routines, but it's really interesting. You know, I've got a, a video of Tiger where on the left side was him in Pebble Beach. Was it 2001 where he won by 15 shots? Yes. 2000, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like one of the first shots that he'd hit, so there wasn't much pressure. And then on the, on the second screen, it's like he's closing in on the end. I suppose there was no pressure at the end either because he was <laughs> yeah. 15 shots ahead. Yeah. But either way, you know, there were different times of the day or even different days. And yet his routine, the moment he walked in, the number of waggles that he did, the swing tempo, everything about the routine had the same timing to it. And then I started using that and and taking that and actually applying it to people and saying, let's try to do this. Let's try to make our routines a little bit more consistent. And it made a lot of people a lot better, especially when we sped up the routine. And then my ex-professor, Matt Bridges, he came out with some research a few years ago looking on the European tour and he associated, we found a correlation between the, the amount that someone won in money and the timing and consistency of, of a player's routine. And he found that, you know, when they change their routine a little bit, that's when they hit their bad shots. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting how you can extend this out just from not only the, the golf swing itself, but everything that happens before it. That's a great point, Adam, you bring up because if you don't work on your tempo, if you don't work on your pre-shot routine, how are you going to make them consistent? And most people yeah. love to work on mechanics. They'll work on all these different things, on a whole driving range session. They'll do all these things, but they don't work on tempo. They don't work on pre-shot routine. And they don't even know how to. Well, now with tour tempo, with these tones, we can do what John was talking about earlier. Go to the range, hit some with, hit some without, film yourself, do all these things. So now you're actually working on something that really matters. It's a fundamental of the golf swing tempo is. And if you're not working on it, you're really missing out. Exactly. I mean, you, you can feel naked as well. As, as you said, if you're practicing only 
doing the tour tempo and then you take them away, you can kind of feel naked on the course. It's the same with routine really or in reverse. If you're not practicing routine when you're practicing, when you're actually doing your reps on the range and then you go to the course and that's the first time you bring out the routine, <laughs> it feels like the opposite of being naked. It feels like you're adding more cl- adding more clothes on. And so, yeah, if you, I mean – you can do this little experiment. Anyone can do this. Go to the range and have a look down the range and there'll be one guy, maybe two at, at most, who are actually stepping back out of the bay and walking in and doing a full routine. And if you go up and ask that guy what his handicap is, I bet he's a low handicap. I bet that's not a, not a 20 handicap doing that. I believe the more I've witnessed better golfers and gotten a little bit better myself, I think there's a rhythm to better golf in general. And timing 100%. the way you walk on the course the way you pick up a tee your pre-shot routine of course we're talking about time elapsed in the golf swing you can see it with the better players you know i think there is that image of ernie l's fred couples and vj singh hitting together on a, in a senior tour event if those are the three names i'm remembering correctly and we've all watched them for decades now, and it's just beautiful. And it's all the timing is so well rehearsed that it looks effortless, but they're all swinging, what, 110, 120 miles an hour. Whereas you could have a golfer swinging at 85 miles an hour who actually looks like they're trying harder and swinging faster than those guys because it's so out of ratio. The backswing and the transition is not properly matched to the downswing or even the time they're spending over the golf ball is different every time. I just, that's why music is important to me on the golf course. I get a song stuck in my head and it keeps me in this, in this same pace. I really do believe in this stuff can be powerful for a lot of players. hundred percent. And the, the counterintuitive thing is the faster it is, the better. That's the counterintuitive piece. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's slower. And that's the interesting thing is that everyone's, we did an episode on control in golf and how our instinct is to try and control everything in golf. And I think one of my instincts and many others, when we heard, I think, you know, not this is not Jack Nicholas's fault, but one of the tips he always gave was like a slow and controlled backswing. And I think that instinctually, we always thought about the golf swing. If I can go slow and controlled on the way back, I'm going to be in control, quote unquote, of what the golf club is doing. And I've found now the opposite. The faster I go, the less crap can happen and weird stuff can happen to be quite honest one thing that i wanted to mention we were talking about tiger before and just the idea of the timing of your golf swing on the range and on the course and how it's something important to pay attention to if i'm remembering correctly this is probably this was during the years where tiger was really i think he was now we know he was really struggling physically like the 2013 15 something somewhere around there you guys were tweeting out some time signatures of what his swing was on the range and what it was on the course, and they were completely different. He would get on the course, and the ratio and timing would be far different than what it was on the range where he was hitting really well. And I, Again, we don't know if that was injury reasons. He was too mechanical with his swing thoughts. And now looking back on those years, you know, in the Masters in 97 when he was in total control of his golf swing, the metronome was like perfect. And that is... Now that I've tracked my tempo on the golf course and still do, if people are going to pursue this type of practice and want to pay attention to it, I would say that don't just do the practice part of it. You've got to pay attention to what's going on in the golf course because that's probably the most important piece of data, in my opinion, because they can, you can have two different golf swings timing wise on the range and the golf course. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I agree with that. And, and just to do a full blown Tiger Woods chronology, what's so amazing about Tiger is, 
When he came onto the scene in 96, he was 27-9. So, and then he won the Masters 27-9. Then he and Butch redid his swing, right? And then in 99 is when he really was the new swing. His swing got longer, but the tempo got faster. So he went from 27-9 to 24-8, and he started going to parallel. That's when he had that dominant period from 99 to 2002 or three, And he was 24-8 with a longer swing. So he really sped up his swing, right? And then he went through another rework, Hank Haney, and he went to 21-7 with about the same backswing. So from 2005 to 2009, another golden period. And I think his winning percentage was <laughs> 25 or 30%, something insane. And that was 21-7. So that's when he looked, I thought, the best. Was that 21.7? Obviously, the 24.8 looked good, but the 21.7 to me, the tempo was amazing. And then what happened was he got in, he was injured, and he had all these things happen. And what you'd see on the range was 21.7, but out on course, it would be like 22.6 or 23.6. And so what would happen was he'd be a little bit controlling going back. And then subconsciously, for anybody that takes it slow back, subconsciously, you think, I got to create some speed. And he was speeding it up on the downswing. So that would have been one of those classic cases of, oh, Tiger, you look quick. Well, actually, he needed to speed up the backswing and almost slow down the downswing. And if you remember, he's doing sort of the head bob deal. So he was doing six frames down with a lot of head motion, and that's why he was just awful. Once he got, I think, I guess he won the Masters in 2019. Is that when he came back and won? Or I can't even remember now. But whenever he kind of got back to where he has been, he's been about 21-7. But he was definitely slower back on the course with a faster downswing. And he would have benefited greatly from, John, your advice of, hey, I got to track what I'm doing on the golf course so I can make sure that it's – because especially if your practice sessions are good at, let's say, 21-7, why would you not want to do 21-7 on the course? The other thing that we really haven't mentioned that I want to bring up is how controllable tempo is. I had a guy come in. That was 27.9. Within about 15 minutes, we had him to 21.7. There's no way in 15 minutes I would take a hip extension or early extension or a casting or all these weird things people do. There's no way you could do mechanics that much of a transformation in 10 or 15 minutes. But with tempo, it's very doable. It's something you can change. It might not feel comfortable, but you can do it and hit a ball and change your tempo. And that's what's so cool about working on your tempo. Yeah, I'm trying not to pick on Nick Faldo, but in all of his broadcasts for the last, what, 15 years, I know he's just retired. He's a huge proponent of tempo, right? He would always talk about it and say, look at that tempo, look at that tempo. And it would just right. drive me crazy and be like, everyone's listening to this like, great, how? Now, now what? <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. that's what always drove me kind of nuts. And again, I do want to re reiterate to all the listeners. I swear to God, I'm not trying to shill this thing like for John's benefit or anything. I, I, <laughs> I truly do believe in this stuff for a lot of golfers because it accomplishes the things we try. Some some of the things we talk about the show is self-organization and not thinking about technical swing thoughts and getting out of swing jail. And you can make big technical changes without actually thinking about them. And we talk about other things on the show, whether it's focusing on ground contact or trying to do the opposite in terms of swing path. Like these are ways to get your body to do something without technically thinking about it. It's more of like an athletic organization, which is what I would prefer for most golfers versus, okay, I'm going to hit these five checkpoints in my backswing. So yeah, I think that the verification thing on the golf course is super important. One question I got on Twitter, I guess, from someone who'd been using it, 
and I think I know the answer at this point, but it's, is it slower backswing or faster downswing? And I think the answer for most people, and it was for me, was faster backswing was the way to solve the equation. I think most people self-organized that way better, but I know there's outliers. So do you get that question a lot? Like how do, if, I, yes. if my tempo is off, if you make a change to your downswing, that's going to throw off your tempo. And if you make a change to your backswing, they're two different inputs. Let's say your tempo is 27.7, right? So do you want to change the numerator or the denominators to seven? So what we found is if you're swinging seven down, perfect. We want you there. 27 back, that's too slow. So we want to change the backswing, make it faster. Typically, that's easier to change as well. It's hard, as you know, it's hard to change a lot in the downswing, whether it be mechanics or tempo. So if you can change your backswing, that's what we like to do because typically all you got to do is use a little more ground force, a little more grip pressure and take it back faster or hear the tones and match those tones and you can get that backswing to speed up. If they're both slow, then we got to work on both of those. Sometimes you'll see that if the guy really casts it, he's got a huge moment arm coming down, it's going to be hard to speed up that downswing. So there may be an intertwining of tempo and mechanics to help you speed up a downswing because your mechanics just won't allow it. Yeah, that's a great question. We get that a lot. We typically don't like to mess with the downswing if it's in a good place. We like to get that backswing moving. Yeah, I've found that now that I make it a habit to put you know, the Garmin setting on my watch when I'm warming up for my round, especially before tournaments, I've just found anecdotally that the downswing time elapsed does not really change that much. It's some days I show up Some days I'll show up with a faster backswing and I'm like 2.6, 2.7. And other days I can show up with a slower backswing and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make that mini adjustment because I know what works for me. If I can get to that 2.8, 2.9, that's kind of like my sweet spot. No pun intended. I know you've done a lot of work with swing speed in general. That's Mm -hmm. a topic we've interviewed a bunch of people on the show and there we've had Sasha McKenzie. We've had Mike Carroll is a great trainer. We've had the super speed guys. I know quickening the backswing is one way to add swing speed easily. It's something you focus on a lot. Do you want to talk a little bit about your findings and philosophy on swing speed in general for golfers? Because I know everyone's looking for it. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm a little bit different than a lot of things that are out there in the marketplace or, or ideas about swing speed. I believe you have to hit something. Because last time I checked, when you go to play golf, you're going to hit something. I'm not a fan of swinging at the air or in the air. I believe your body needs to know in time and space when the impact, when is the moment of contact, when you're going to have a collision. There's a guy out there named Stuart McGill who's done some incredible stuff on the, on the spine and the back, but he's also studied MMA fighters. And he finds that when they're about to impact a bag or another person, there's a huge contraction of the body and of the core that he calls it super stiffness. So if you're not hitting something, you miss out on super stiffness, which helps you brace for power and it actually tells your brain that you're ready to impart maximum power. So that's one of my big things is, is some sort of impact or a resistance to go against. That's how the body works. The principle is called SAID, specific adaptation to increase demand. If we don't increase the demand, you will not have a specific adaptation. So that would be my speed training advice. On the technique side, what I've found is, and I wrote about this in Tour Tempo Force, if there's basically four segments you can load in the backswing. There's your hips, there's the torso, the arms, and the wrist. If you can load all four of those 
segments and you can do it in a nice time frame, you're going to gain speed. Most people only load maybe the arms and wrists or one or the you know couple that they don't all load all four. And sometimes when they do, they don't have enough speed to load those. So that's a huge thing for me is being able to load up these segments and do it in a certain amount of time. That's another big one. Back to the actual speed piece of it. And I'd mentioned I was with Padraig in St. Louis. He and I talked about that as well. He believes you got to hit something. And that really helps you. You guys called it self-organization. I love that term, or I, I think that's what you said. It really lets the brain know this is what I got to be ready for. Now, short game, I believe the ball kind of just gets in the way. Because when you look at a practice chip swing of a tour player and then you watch the real swing, it's the same thing. But if you watch Tiger Woods and watch his little practice swing, it's nothing like the real swing. And that's kind of what I see is that is a huge key for speed is I need to know how to handle this collision and I need to be freed up to, to make some swings and hit something as fast as I can and not be afraid of the result. That will help as well. But I think you can get some serious quick benefits out of loading those segments quicker. Those will be longer and better lasting results because you're sort of changing the technique to get more power. Any training? I mean, are you a proponent of physical training or when, when someone, I, we're, we're always trying to give people actionable stuff they could do on the driving range. So if someone came to you and said, I want to swing faster in a, yep. in, a, in a responsible way, what would you be pointing them towards on the practice range or even if, if they're willing to do some gym work as well, which you know we're, we're proponents of for sure. For sure. Yeah. Obviously get in the gym. Okay. So on the driving range, here's what I would say. Obviously you got a decent launch monitor with you and I want you to take sort of your normal gamer swing look at the club head speed, ball speed, carry, whatnot. And then I would say, okay, let's look at that swing length, okay, and how much you've loaded these four segments. Let's see if you can keep your same tempo and go a little further back on all four of those segments, a little more hip turn, a little more shoulder turn, a little higher arms, a little more wrist. Now, I know it's going to feel like a long drive swing and everything, but just see what you can do to see, is that going to get us more speed? Nine times out of 10, that will, especially if you can maintain your tempo. And then if we do that, try even a faster tempo. Now, at some point, there's some diminishing returns. Like for me, it's hard to get to 18.6. But I think that would be, if your listener out there tries that, he's going to see some speed right then and there. And in the beginning, you really need to start with club head speed. Don't go to ball speed yet. Go to club head speed on a good device. And if you see that club head speed bumping up, okay, now let's find ball speed. Because at the end of the day, ball speed is the only thing that really matters. But when you're first starting this stuff, you want to use club head speed because it's a little bit harder to find that ball when you're swinging super fast and with a super long swing. So that would be some advice there. In the gym, I think I had a conversation with Mike Carroll about this, and we were talking about it either needs to look exactly like the golf swing or nothing like the golf <laughs> nothing, swing. Yeah. And I think the mistake people make is they're trying to like make you know do a cable and make it look just like the swing or somewhat like the swing. The forces are so different. You'd be better off just getting stronger, but maintaining your level of mobility. Those would be get an app like Mike's app or, or get with a trainer that knows somewhat what they're doing. A big thing I would say, and I'll give a shout out to a guy named Hey Dr. Rob on social media. He's really helped me knowing how to brace your core. One thing about golf is that it's not necessarily great for your back. And if you go into the gym and do core work and make your back even worse, you're going in the wrong direction. Because there are certain exercises like Russian twist and sit-ups and things like that that are really bad for your back. And you need to kind of be able to know, first of all, I'm not a fan of any core work on the ground because 
in golf, you're standing on your feet. So much more of a fan of using your hips, throwing a medicine ball, doing things like that where you're on your feet. Now, there is something else. I'm, I'm kind of all over the map here. I hope that's okay. As someone who's really big into strength training, and Adam knows a ton about it too, is you know you don't have to do any core-specific exercises because doing bicep curls, shoulder stuff, exactly. bench presses, you're, you're using your stomach and your quote-unquote core to stabilize all of those movements. So your core is going to get more braced for golf, and I've, I've found that too. That's a great point to make. If you do a squat or a deadlift, your core is getting yeah. work. Trust me. It's getting... Or, you, yeah, or else you're not doing it properly. That's right. But I'm a big fan of doing things on your feet because that's how you hit a golf ball. I think that's really important. There's something called open chain and closed chain. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. But golf is lower body closed chain, upper body open chain. So that means that you know your hands and arms are moving all around. They're open chain. And your legs are kind of on the ground. Now, they, if you jump, I know you're coming off the ground, but your legs don't lift like that which would be open chain. So if you, I'm a big fan of training lower body closed chain and training upper body open chain because that's how you do the golf swing. So I'm not saying push-ups are bad, but that's not really the way you do golf. You don't move your arms and that moves your body, right? So that's something to kind of, to kind of look into for somebody out there is open and closed chain. That's important. Definitely use the gym, but make sure it's helping you. You never want to have the gym hurt you and and I know that sounds like very basic, but it's very important because I think a lot of golfers make that mistake. We want to be better on the golf course, not necessarily squat more in the gym. So if you have to give up form or whatnot. So that would be a big thing I would say there. I think that's a super important point because you don't want to harm what's going on the golf course. One last topic that I think the beats can be helpful with, especially with the dreaded Y word with the short game. You guys released a follow-up book on the short game and and essentially the findings was, I guess, on finesse wedge shots and putting, and I verified this myself using the Garmin watch, two to one is is, is really the ratio. I've had some people who, friends I've played with and, and me at times who really struggle with wedge shots around the green sometimes just getting the body to sync up and like the arms take, I want to get into the scary stuff because I don't want to get those nasty thoughts that sometimes we have over the ball. But I can you talk a little bit about the short game and the beats? Because I think that can be helpful in that context for a lot of golfers with the wedge in their hand or the putter to get away the Y word. Agreed. So on the Tour Tempo Total Game app, go to the short game tones, and now they're going to sound a little bit different. Bump, bump, bump. Start, top, back. So that's a two-to-one ratio, and they go from 14 7 all the way up to 2211. And it's basically more time in the downswing. So you're not trying to rush that downswing, so to speak. Again, this goes back to that idea of I know where my club needs to be in space and time if I just let it happen. And so you're right. That was the whole idea behind the book tour tempo to the short game is at this two to one ratio. Now, a question is, is when do I use two to one? When does it transfer to three to one? And my typical answer has been, a, intent, are you trying to hit it hard or not? And then when I say hard, I mean more than 75, 80%. And B is how high does your left arm or your lead arm get? Because if it gets above your shoulders, you're probably going into three to one territory. So if you think about an 80 yard sand wedge or lob wedge, that's going to be two to one. You're not trying to you know, hit it hard. Your, your arm's probably not going too high over your shoulders. So that's sort of when to do it. One of the you know conversations I had with Grober was what causes these two to ones and these three to ones and things like that. And what he told me was, is that 
on the two to one tempo ratio, all you had to do was put the same force into the backswing that you wanted in the downswing. And I think that's a huge thing that can help somebody with the Y word is that you don't have to add any more force than what you put into the backswing. I think as coaches, you guys probably see a lot of slow chipping backswing, and then they try to add a lot of power. We don't want to add distance to a chip. We want to control that. And so if you just basically do a pendulum-like motion, which means the same amount of force back and through, then you're going to start to get some nice results and some nice consistency. If you think about a pendulum, if it goes back with a certain amount of force, which is driven by gravity, gravity is driving it back here. Once it hits a ball, it's probably not going to have a huge follow through. So if you see the guy chipping with a huge follow through, he's adding so much energy to this thing. And this is where you can start to have a different focus on your chipping by focusing on how much energy you're going to put into that backswing. Because now all of a sudden you can let the downswing take care of itself with the same amount of energy. And that's, that one-to-one force will create the two-to-one ratio of tempo. And that was a huge eye-opener for me from Grover with the physics involved to really help the golfer out there understand, you know, how can I hit these shots and gain some control? Well, I think one of also the benefits, and, and it, I, I probably have to default it as sometimes because my wedge game around the greens is probably where I struggled the most, is that... I think when you're struggling with something in golf, your instinct is to think more about the movement. You know, as much as I don't want to think about my golf swing, and especially the area of the game that probably doesn't come the most natural to me is greenside wedges, I'm going to get more conscious with my technical thoughts on those. And again, not the solution for everyone, but I think one out of the box idea would be to use the two to one beats for that because now you're just, again, I'm probably one of those people you're describing where super slow, then quick, like it's just out of transition. Whereas you watch a good, a great putter or a good wedge player, like you watch Luke Donald hit a bunch of chip or pitch shots around the green. You don't see any extra momentum in there. Yeah. As you said, he's letting the ball get in the way of the club or a great putter where you watch like Brad Faxon back in the day. It's like he probably doesn't feel anything at impact. And it's so hard to say to people, oh, that's what you got to do. Brad Faxon earned that through years and years and years. And I think this is one of those ways you can possibly access that when you actually have something tangible to focus on in terms of the timing and not worrying about everything else. So when I've been in some real trouble, I've used them in the short game from time to time, not as much as the full swing. And that's where it's helped me is, is getting away from the nasty thoughts. <laughs> Can I let me throw in something on that? Because you said the word tangible, and I think that's huge for the average golfer or any golfer. What should I think about, coach? What do you want me to think about here? Well, guess what? We got these three tones, match them up. And I think that's something that's really helpful to give somebody something concrete and tangible that they can work on. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gabrielle Wolf. Have you heard of her? She wrote Motor Learning and Control and stuff like that. Adam definitely she, does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she, I love that book. I've read it a bunch, but. Basically, if you try to control this complex thing with your mind, it's going to get screwed up. So if we have these tones to sort of distract us, if you will, they can really free us up to let our body make the motion correctly as we sort of sit back, observe, and see if we're sort of hitting those tones. And that's what I would urge people to do. You can get the Frame Counter app. It's free. Check your tempo. You can get the Tour Tempo Total Game app out there on iOS and Android. You literally can get that stuff right now and go try it today and see what happens. 
it's something that's very tangible and the results are right there. Yeah. And I haven't really recommended a lot of training aids over the years, years just because it's so hard to know what's going to resonate with a player. Like the only, the, the few ones that I've universally advocated, like the orange whip, I think has been really helpful for, for me. And I, I can't think of a golfer that would get screwed up by the orange whip. Like that's one product where I'm like, okay, I think this has, can help you warm up. It can help you also develop a nice rhythm and tempo to your swing. And I think it has some nice benefits, but there's a lot of stuff out there where you don't hear us talking about on the show just because it's so hard to like prove what's going to work and what's not going to work for a golfer. And what does your app cost, John? It's like 25 bucks. 25 bucks, but we don't charge any monthly fees. Once you buy it, you're all in. So you're you're done. So yeah, I'm not trying to shill something on everyone who's (laughs) listening to this or like a $500 (laughs) commitment. And I I know everyone's probably thinking, and maybe Adam too, is like, what the hell is John doing here? He's just like selling this thing so hard. But I do believe in it. I don't think it's for everyone. But yeah, for 25 bucks and no ongoing fees, I think it is one of the best training aids in the golf industry. It's certainly worth a portion or an experimentation. If someone, it doesn't resonate with someone, it screws up your golf swing. Honestly, forget about it. I wouldn't, you know, some people, it might not just work. It might screw them up for whatever reason. I think anything goes like that in golf, but it's been helpful to me. It's been helpful to a bunch of readers on my site over the years. And I think some of the practice methods that I've kind of stumbled onto and you guys recommend can help people. I just try and give people an idea of like, when you show up to the range, what can you do that's a little more productive than just rifling through the bucket. I think this is one of those ideas people can mess around with. And then if it starts resonating with you, then yeah, stick with it. But my overall guidance would be similar to what you said, obviously, is use them more in the beginning because it's going to be uncomfortable. And then as you get more and more comfortable with them and settle on that tone is you have to take the training wheels off over time. And more importantly, verify when you're not using the tones on and off the golf course. I've been doing this for six, seven years now, and I believe those are the best practices that I've I've found. I love that on and off the golf course, and that's not my probably need to preach more. So I'm going to steal that from you, and I'll, I'll give you credit though. But that's brilliant and really good, and I think that it'll help the average golfer. And it's a, it's a low risk, easy thing to try. The unfortunate thing I will say to people is that the Garmin watches are the only ones I know of that will track it passively and they are expensive. The Garmin S60 is still like 300 something bucks and the Garmin S62 is like 400 something. I think one of the new voice caddy watches is a bit less expensive and it does have the tempo feature in it. But to my knowledge, those are the only ways that you can passively track it on the golf course and then refer back to it. So I said 25 bucks for the app, but yeah, that that is a bit more expensive. You do get a great GPS watch out of it too. And then the frame counter, you could have your buddy, I guess, video you on on or off the golf course, which is a, a bit a little bit more cumbersome, but free. So there you I'll go. leave that up to people whether or not they want to do that. Adam, have I just bored you to death this whole time? No, no, I'm listening. <laughs> this is more this is more your topic. Yeah, this is what this is what this is definitely a, I hate talking in the third person, but this is definitely a John topic. I've been carrying this torch for a while. Uh, and it's just it bothers me that more people don't know about you guys. Well, thank That's you. That's why for I that. wanted to have you I, on. And I appreciate you helping me get the word out because I hear that all the time. Why do more people not know about you? And I think one of the reasons is tempo doesn't have the sexiness that mechanics do and all these other exactly, things and yeah. launch monitors and all this stuff. So I really do appreciate it. And everything you've said has been pretty spot on to what we're doing and trying to do. And I really do appreciate you having me on. I know you've done stuff like this in the past, but any 
thoughts just from the swing doctor's perspective on any of this? I don't want to send people down a rabbit hole, but... I mean, I use tempo stuff. I've always just used a metronome at first. And I'll be honest, I'm going to get out. And the first thing I'm going to do is download the app and start experimenting more with the three beats because I've always just been a beep, beep. But yeah, I I love it in terms of extending out the routine or extending out to the routine as we talked about before. I use it in my own game as well. Whenever I'm under pressure, I find that focusing on a beat helps me. With pupils who are overly analytical, I I find it helps get rid of a lot of their swing thoughts as well. And we get to see what's ingrained and what's not ingrained. And then in terms of improving mechanics as well, I find that when you speed up the tempo, swing speed increases, which we know from strokes gained, improves your, lowers your scores automatically for every 20 yards you gain. What is it at the amateur level? About 0.2, 0.3 of a shot for every 20 yards? To the higher handicap golfer, 20 yards is worth more than a tour player. So I think a tour player would gain like one stroke per round with 20 yards. But depending on handicap level, like if it's a 15, 20 handicap, it's going to be more than that. Yeah. And just improving the overall mechanics, I find that one of my favorite drills to do is to get people to swing it back and forth really fast. Just, you know, constantly back and forth to a, to a metronome and you just find that people stabilize, you know, they, they get rid of all the head movement, the up and down and away, or the, or at least that up and down movement looks more athletic, like a, a you know, a Tiger Woods or a Rory McElroy would. And there's less lateral head movement that's extraneous as well. And, and the swing plane gets improved if, you know, I, I hate, going for aesthetics just for the sake of aesthetics but a lot of things clean up and look more textbook when you start to speed up and and make things a little bit uh higher or higher tempo so yeah i love it i definitely use this stuff i just know that you've dived a lot deeper into the uh, dove a lot deeper into this john well i think it's just one thing that we know that 80 to 90 percent of golfers at minimum are on their own meaning they're not with the help of a swing instructor. And I'm watching, <laughs> I'm always watching golfers on the range, me for years too, just like, what am I doing? Most of the stuff is not productive. So it's just one of the things that I've found in my toolkit is a productive way to spend some, I don't think you're going to get worse doing this stuff. So it's more for the golfer that's saying, I'm not going to go get, you know, I'm not going to invest in 20 lessons this year and work with the swing instructor. You know, if you're cruising around on the golf channel or YouTube, I know you're being shown all types of stuff. And I'm not going to start naming them. (laughs) And most of them I I genuinely don't think are going to help your golf game. So this is my way of just saying like, hey, this is, I think, one of the good things out there that can. I do believe in it that much. John, now that we've taken up a decent amount of your, oh, I guess it's been time well spent. We've done a nice infomercial for you. (laughs) You guys have been great. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely like, usually on the sweet spot, we don't do infomercials for companies. We're very careful, but happy to do this one. I appreciate that. I think I want to jump in on a couple of things on this. It's hard to talk about tour tempo and not bring up the app because you can't really do it without the tones. So it's such a small investment. It's 25 bucks or even starting to bring down app, it's free. Real quick, I want to jump back to something Adam said, because this is real interesting. You know, the metronome is good, but... Yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up. Yeah, You miss that key point of the top of the backswing, right? And so that's huge to have that, because now you're going to let the student know in time and space in that mental organization deal, where is the top of the backswing? I don't know if you guys are Timothy Galway fans, the guy that came up with back hit. 
self one, self two. That's a huge one. Most golfers have no idea when they've reached the top of their backswing. So getting that awareness even of where's the top of my backswing can help somebody because they typically have no clue. And Adam, the other thing you said that I love, and again, I keep bringing up Padre because I was just with him, back and forth swings. That's what Padre was real into. And I'll tell you the John Novosel twist on, on how I do speed. So I take your back and forth swings and we put those on steroids. I take like an orange whip club. I flip it upside down. So you're gripping the heavy part. So you got a flexible shaft. And then I put, for me, my, my tour tempo speedball tail on the end. And now you've got this, when you go back and forth, you are trying to torque the hell out of the shaft, which is torqueable. And you've got a ton of resistance. And I found that increases speed three to five miles an hour clubhead speed on the spot for nearly any golfer. Because you know what you do? You stabilize, like you just said, you get better tempo, you use more ground force to do it, and you use more grip pressure. And so I take, I take drills like that, and I throw them into some resistance or some sort of impact. And that's where you can really increase tempo, but also get speed as you're improving mechanics. So I think that's kind of my big MO as a speed coach of, of what I do as a drill like that. And so Padraig told me that he does those back and forth swings to basically prep him to make a full swing on the golf course. And when he does those, and he, which he did at the U.S. Senior Open, he gets more speed by about that fourth swing. So that was a huge thing for him to put up like a 183 ball speed on a drive in the U.S. Senior Open to do that. So I know that's sort of a little tangent there at the end of the deal, but I really appreciate you guys having me on. And I thought that was important to bring up since you had mentioned that, Adam. Yeah. One last point I'll make is I get this question all the time over the years. Well, why wouldn't I just use a metronome? I guess you could, but it's not going to be timed to the initiation, transition, and impact of the golf swing. You know, it will be. I guess it could be helpful to some people, but I, I found that transition in terms of timing of the golf swing is where most things are going to get screwed up and yep. having that beat time. Because some people ask me like, why the hell am I paying 25 bucks for someone who just did a three to, I mean, I guess if you're a musical person, you can make them on your own. But I mean, I like to credit people and give them money for figuring out something. So I think it is worth the 25 one-time fee. But that is the distinction between using just a metronome meant for music in general versus one that is timed for the actual golf swing. And then you do have the different speeds. So that's my last point. So John, where can everyone find you and what you guys offer? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tour Tempo. On the websites right now, tourtempospeed.com, you can order product. And at tourtempo.com, you can just find out a lot more about everything. Also, some interesting stuff on John Garrity. We've got the Grober studies published. I don't know if you've seen any of his other ones. He did one with a long driver. So we've got a bunch of those on our website at tourtempo.com. And then Tour Tempo Speed, if you want to try some of these crazy speed products that I sell as well. I'm going to send Bob a text. I haven't spoken to Bob in a few years. I'm going to text him after we're done with this. Yep. I really like him. He's such a great guy and, and no ego and uh, obviously brilliant. I mean, oh, yeah, super he's. Smart. <laughs> I mean, the place he works right now is uh, a small collection of the smartest people in the universe. Uh, yeah, he's a, exactly. a really smart guy. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, but yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Reach out to me. Let me know if you have other questions. And I, I really appreciate your time and great comments by both of you guys. Really, you're on top of it. Thanks. Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. And John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com. And if you've read my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, you have read the entire chapter on Swing Tempo, where I kind of tell my story with Tour Tempo. I put it in there. Thanks for everyone for listening. As usual, we appreciate your feedback. 
and we will see you next week with a new episode.